Hey there. We're back. Purchase and sale contract. I don't want to make this so simple, but it's that simple. This is all you need to know to write the contract. That's it. Now, in the event there's a hurricane and utilities are knocked out and we can't close, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that addresses events like that, that don't happen every day or not commonplace. So I'm not gonna go there with you today. I'm gonna go back to my contract package that staff put together for you within .loop and I'm gonna find the critical date timeline. And this is what I found to be the best way to, um, well, let me go back. Same, same concept here. You wanna write a contract, you go to your contract documents and you're gonna select all the forms. I want a contract deal sheet. A contract deal sheet is a Beggins thing because our staff does all the work for you. That's you giving us instructions on what to do for you. Do you want to sign? Are there any specific instructions? How did you get it? Because we had a QN, MLS, and Dash for you, two big databases. So that's where you tell us what you want. So always include that. Affiliated business rate, we're going to require that in the file. Uh, brokerage relationship disclosure for the buyer. It's just a reminder. You don't need to put this in your package, or you may want to, because here's the deal. Under agency, you are deemed a transaction broker from the onset. Every agent in the state of Florida is deemed a transaction broker from the onset. The only way you can change that relationship is by signing a brokerage relationship form. If you sign a single agent form with a buyer, then you then the brokerage becomes a single agent for that buyer. Right? Now that creates a problem because all the brokerages listings are single agent with the seller. So that means we can't show any of our listings to our buyer, right? That's why our listing agreement has single agent notice with consent to transition to transaction broker. So if you're gonna sign a buyer up on a buyer agreement, then you would want to have them consent to transition to transaction broker so they can see our listings too. I know it's convoluted, but as you let that sink in, you'll, you'll see what I'm saying. Um, Buyer's cost estimate, not necessary. Some buyers like it. Generally speaking, if they played the game the way we've been talking it, they've already been hooked up with their loan officer who gave them a, a closing cost estimate. Uh, do we want a commercial contract, contract deal sheet? I thought I heard you take that. Okay. Send it twice, Angelique, if you're watching. Um, contract intake form, which we're going to study. Uh, coronavirus extension addendum. I'll probably get time to address that. Critical date timeline for Farbar 5, critical date timeline for South Tampa, for the as is. So I'm gonna show you both of those. Energy efficiency brochure, little known. Kathleen, you know what I'm gonna say about this one? Uh, it, you'll see that mentioned in the contract and it's basically it just gives a disclosure about, you know, testing out the property for uh, electric and so forth and home savings on appliances and that, that's something that you do include with the contract. It's just a two, three pager. Yeah, well the thing is the contract says when the buyer signs the contract, they're acknowledging they've received that document. Correct. Which nobody ever gives them that document. But I'm probably the only guy in the state of Florida that's read the entire transaction contract. And it clearly says the buyer has received this form. And I don't want you to look negligent, so we put the form there. Escalation addendum, we're going to talk about today. 
because um, that's where I want to get to. I want to get to the negotiation tips that Kat's prepared. But so to get there, we're going to start off with the critical day timeline. Because this is, once again, the simplest way. And we're going to do it for the real contract. Does this look familiar? Here's what this says. These are the parties. These are the critical dates. These are the seller's obligations. These are the buyer's obligations. And these are potential closing delays. That's it. This is not a legal form. This is a Beggins form, but it's so helpful to guide a transaction and professionally manage a transaction. The encouragement is for you to, after the deal is put together, find all this stuff out, put it in neat format and share it with your cooperating broker, the seller and the buyer. Because once we're enemies, if you will, until we get a contract and then we love each other and work toward closing but it's important we all are on the same page. So these are the things, and this is what the contract does. And once again, I want you to read the contract, but I'm not gonna sell or buy our property. I just listening off and we'll talk about those things separately. Um, critical dates, the effective date is critical. Now with dot loop, it's fantastic because every time a change is made, it's time stamped and dated. And the definition in the contract of the effective date is the date upon which the last party signed, sealed, or initial. Right? That's when everything starts from. So the additional deposit, the initial deposit is due within three days of the effective date. So we better damn well agree when the effective date is. And some people have disagreements on that. So let's put it in writing and share it with everybody. And then we'll at least we have a piece of paper that says, hey, we agreed. And I don't care if you can make it effective today or tomorrow. It doesn't matter. Let's just agree on what it is. Um, and you notice there's no line number by it because there is no line number for it. The effective date is not called out in the contract. It's deciphered from the contract by the last initial thing. Um, line 52 of the contract. This is the regular contract, not the far bar, the as is. The as is has a different critical date timeline. So on line 52, you'll find the expected closing date. On line 93, you'll find the loan application due date. On line 89, the loan approval due date. On line 27, the deposit due. On line 261, the inspection period ends on a date. And the additional deposit due on line 36. Those are critical dates. There's seven of them, right? Um, default. Default of the contract by buyer is forfeiture of deposits paid and agreed to be paid. So let's say the additional deposit is due on July 23rd and the seller forgets to make it or buyer forgets to make it. Then the seller can call the buyer in default and the buyer has to forfeit the deposits paid and agreed to be paid. That's a big one and it's a pretty easy one to win. Right? That's it. That's all this 13 pages of real estate contract boils down to these dates. I, that's it. So take the pressure off yourself. That's it. Watch these seven dates. Make sure they happen in time. So we suggest to use your G Suite Google Calendar and you put a date. If it's expected closing date is August 31st, then you put a reminder to remind you two or three days before to make sure everything's ready for that file. Right. If I can jump in, when you use a PA, the PA does this for us on inspection periods, closings, and so forth. 
they're really good about putting this on your calendar. This is a huge, huge help because when you're doing eight to 10 deals a month, you're going to be really glad you have that PA to keep you on track. You're doing four deals a month. You're going to be really glad you got somebody holding you on track. True. True. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Ben, I want to point out to the parties what their obligations are. There's no line number for this. Make sure the contract gets delivered to the title company and make sure you submit it for review in dot loop. We don't know about it. We have so many contracts. We have like 500 pending contracts right now. If you don't submit for review, we don't know to review it. Right? So that's the first thing. Send it to the title company, submit for review in dot loop. We will we'll check it out, make sure it's all compliant. We'll send you love notes with what you're missing because you want a compliant file. And if I can jump in one second, if you're representing the buyer, make sure the lender has a copy of the contract. Don't expect your buyer to do it because they're not going to do it. Right. Sometimes the buyer's agent on the other side's not going to do it, but you've got the lender's information. You shoot it over there with a read receipt. Line 159 says the seller must deliver the title commitment to the buyer at least 15 days prior to closing. Five, if it's a cash deal. Here's a little trick, make a note. If your buyer needs an extension and the seller doesn't want to give them one, check back and see if the seller ever had the title company deliver the existing title, uh, to the uh, title commitment to the buyer 15 days prior to closing. Paramount title does it because I busted them on it. Most title companies do not. You got an automatic five day extension there if you're smart. Remember Ninja contract? Um, the seller has an obligation to deliver the existing title policy to the buyer within five days of the effective date, if available. So that would be a good idea to ask the seller at time of listing, hey, do you have a copy of your existing title policy? Because the contract says if you have it, you should give it to them within five days of the effective date. Um, the seller is obligated to get estimated cost of repairs. This is for the regular contract for um, warranted items, WDOs, and open permits. That's three lines in one. But that's the seller's obligation to get repairs, right, by a licensed contractor. And they have to close any open permits five days prior to closing. That's really all the seller has to do. And most of that should should have been identified when we did the inspections before the thousand market in the first place. Right? So not a whole lot for the seller to get stressed over. Buyer, what's the buyer got to do? Why don't you cover the buyer cap? Buyer has to make sure that they they conduct their home inspection within the window that's in the contract. And if there's any issues concerning repairs and so forth, get those issues with a copy of the inspection report over to the uh, listing agent within the window time frame. And you just uh, like read like line 27, they need to make their initial deposit and line 35, you make their additional deposit. Oh, line 27. This is critical because if they don't, they have defaulted and the seller can take the house back. This is a common problem, uh, especially for new agents that they don't understand how critical this is to make sure that that initial deposit gets made within that time frame. because if they don't, it's a breach. Same thing with the additional deposit on 935. It's a breach. So here it is. Initial deposit to be made at either a company's the offer, which seldom does that happen because nobody carries a checkbook anymore, or it's to be made within so many days. And now they can wire transfer or they can deliver a check to the closing agent, but it has to happen within this period or the additional deposit and the initial deposit are forfeited. 
gone. Line 105, get to know the buyer must, this is so important. The buyer must notify the seller of loan approval or cancellation due to financing. It's a 30 day default. Also see line 111 below. Okay. The loan approval period is a period of time which the buyer is working with their lender. There is no requirement for the lender to do anything, right? The lender and the buyer are working together. When this loan approval period pops up, the buyer makes the decision and says, hey, seller, I feel comfortable. I'm waiving my financing contingency and I'll close. Or the buyer says, seller, I'm not uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable. Can I please have an extension for my approval period? Or the buyer says, seller, I'm not comfortable. I'm canceling. Give me my deposit back. One of three things have to happen on that day. And it's horrible when you miss that day. So notifying the seller. Then it goes on to say in the contract that if the buyer goes silent and doesn't cancel, the seller has three days after the loan approval period in which he can cancel the buyer. I don't think you're making this seriously enough. I've got another buyer that's interested. I'm going to sell to them instead of you and cancel their ass. They have that right for three days. So if the buyer doesn't fess up and say, I'm not canceling, then they got three days where the seller can cancel them. But if they didn't cancel, then they're deemed to have waived and they've waived their financing and their deposit goes hard. So this is where the strategy comes in and you're thinking, huh, I got a 30 day closing. When should my loan approval period come up? It's going to default on 30 days. So if you got a 30 day closing and a 30 day loan approval period, there's no wiggle room for your seller to know what's going on. So my suggestion is 10 days before closing is when the loan approval date should be. So you got a 45 day closing, get a 35 day loan approval date, but you got to read these things in the contract, right? That's why you, before you have your seller sign the contract, you complete this thing, this form. It's real simple. Uh, go to line 105, see what the date is. Count backwards or forwards on your calendar. Boom. Buyer may have buyer's expense obtain a survey. On what date? Line 184. Line 224, buyer to terminate due to flood insurance. Line 224. Uh, 261, buyer to conduct a home inspection at buyer's expense. There's a date by which they have to do that. 273, provide required repairs to seller within the inspection period. May extend the inspection period. So the seller, buyer doesn't give the seller what they need. The seller gets more time. And that's for all three. Um, sellers, Wood destroying organisms, warranted items, wood destroying organisms, and permits. And then the buyer has the obligation to do a walkthrough inspection the day before or the day of closing. This buyer has the obligation to examine the title evidence five days from within five days after receipt from the title company. And if they don't, they may extend the closing. The buyer is allowed five days to review title work. If the title company doesn't give it to them, they're allowed. They don't have to use five days, but they're allowed. Trid, they have to have three days. This is they're allowed to have five days. So the title company doesn't deliver to them, it may extend closing. Advise seller of survey defects within five days after receipt from the seller or surveyor if buyer ordered it, all right? That's it, that's the buyer's obligations. You can read all 13 pages, but those are their obligations. The rest are just explaining things. And then there are, and it's important to bring this up to buyers and sellers. 
if you've got a dead date where you have to be in a new house by a certain date, there's no promise, right? If CFPB didn't get disclosure requirements, there's up to a 10-day automatic built-in delay, three days at a time, up to seven days after restoration of utilities, but not more than 30 days due to a force majeure event. Um, seller may cancel within three days of loan approval expiration date if buyer notice was not received. We just talked about that. You can, it's up to 10-day delay if seller fails to close open permits or expired permits, and up to 15 days if the seller fails to deliver the title commitment to the buyer prior to closing. And if I could jump in for one second, when you get a notification from the title company for the title search that they've done, you'll have an addendum, you'll have not an addendum, you'll have a PDF at the bottom. Open that up and sometimes there's going to be the not so wonderful surprise of multiple mortgages that don't have satisfaction of mortgage on them or if they've done a um, Unicode search for utilities and things like that and there's a bunch of unpaid bills. When you're on the listing agent side, you want to make sure you get with that uh, seller right away and say, hey, look, do you have a copy of the satisfaction of mortgage for this and this? And the reason why I'm bringing this up is sometimes there's mortgages out there that they've had that for whatever reason did not get a satisfaction of mortgage filed into the uh, public records. And some sellers are really good about keeping copies of everything. I had this happen in a real life situation. And it was a mortgage from 20 years ago and nobody had a copy of the satisfaction of mortgage, but my guy had it. We couldn't have closed without it because the original sellers on that house had passed away. So there was no way of recouping that had they not had that documentation. Got it. Okay. All right, Kat, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop screen sharing now. We go to your screen and you had some things you wanted to talk about. Guys, I'm not trying to make this like a fast blow by. I just want you to realize this contract is not, oh, we should look, we should look at the as-is real quick before we do that. Yeah. Um, this contract is not complicated. Don't let it scare you. I want you to read it, understand all the stuff, but everything we just covered in here is what's important, right? And then I highly suggest before signing a contract, you go here and you fill out these dates and make sure they don't conflict with anything. The one you're gonna see a lot with is this um, loan approval period. It's bad news if you let the loan approval period be too close to closing date, all right? So let's go back and do the critical date timeline for the as is, and I'm gonna show you something really simple. Guess what? It's shorter. Same thing, same thing. All the seller has to do is you send to the title company or to the lender and submit it for review dot loop. Seller has to deliver title commitment to the buyer. Seller has to deliver title policy to the buyer five days of the effective date. Uh, seller has to deliver existing survey. Done. Seller can sleep, although nothing is real until the inspection period passes. Buyer's obligation, make the deposit, make the extra deposit, notify the seller of the loan approval date. Um, buyer may get a survey. Buyer has a 20-day flood insurance cancellation. Buyer may conduct a home inspection. A walkthrough inspection and title evidence. That's all they got to do. Same closing delays, right? Pretty simple stuff. Got These it. These things are excellent because it really breaks it down in, in nice, manageable pieces, and it doesn't look so ominous as when you're flipping through page after page after page. Makes it so much better. Let's talk about some real life situations. Real life stuff. Well, in the market like this, we're getting a lot of backup contracts. 
uh, because it is becoming a hotter market than what it started out. We are seeing multiple offers come in and multiple offers are a wonderful thing to have. Can, it, can everybody see the screen? Backup offers are great. And the reason why you want to have a backup offer for your seller is you never know, uh, you know, unless it's a perfect offer, perfect contract, like Jeff and Greg have both said, unless it's perfect, anything can happen. Anything can go along the way. As we've talked about, you know, the stages of the offer, we've talked about that. Now we're going to talk about what's a backup offer. Well, it's legally enforceable. Once offer number one, contract number one fails to go to escrow, fails to go to settlement. So the offer goes to contract. We get through all these wonderful stages of escrow, inspections, appraisal, loan, approval, CD, and clear to close. And then all of a sudden, boom, not so much. We don't go to settlement. We have backup offers that can come in one, two, three, or four. We have forms in our uh, form simplicity as well as in dot loop that we can use to line up those backup contracts, one, two, three, four. So you don't feel so confused when you're getting so many of them because I know a lot of our agents have been working with backups and they're not sure how to present them. It's real easy. Offer number one comes in, backup. Offer number two, backup. Offer number three. So you line them up and you present them to the seller. The seller's going to look at them and the seller's going to be the one that's going to be choosing that. Understand a backup offer is a legally binding uh, purchase agreement once number one offer goes away. The seller can ask a lot of questions and as a selling agent, you want to ask the buyer's agent a lot of questions. How strong is this buyer? What type of financing are we looking at? Uh, do they need to sell a home in order to get into this home and so forth? So you want to make sure you get a lot of those questions asked up front. And you also want to make sure the backup buyer agent informs that buyer that he's in line of contract number one in play. We're not in contract until number one goes away. And it's really, really important to remind the buyer's agent of that because they're going to get excited. They're going to get caught up in the moment and they're going to think, oh yeah, we're, this is going to go. No, wait, wait, wait. You've got to wait until the terms. We want to make sure when we're dealing with these types of situations, let's be calm, professional, but be straightforward in what we're dealing with. The reason why that's in there, again, because a lot of excitement's being generated during this process and you want to make sure everybody's on the same page. It, a backup offer is just that, a backup offer. It's not the primary offer until the first one fails to go to settlement. So what are we talking about elements of a backup offer? We have different contracts that we've talked about today. It'll either be the bar bar contract or the as is contract. Making sure with that you're using the backup addendum, a section W in the box, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. Make sure you have that in there. Because your backup writer is the addendum and it's going to have all the components you need to construct a valid backup offer, but you still have to have the addendums. And let me show you what I'm talking about. I think most people are probably familiar with this, but just to go through it, I made a snapshot of it. This is what your backup offer contract addendum looks like. It's W and the backup offer is going to be subject to the termination of the prior executed contract. That's the first guy that's in line that we've been talking about. Hold on one second. Jeff's saying sure. he can't. What's that? He says he's just looking at my face, not hearing me. But can you hear Kat? Is her, is her screen not being shared? Jeff is texting me. Okay. I'll hang on a minute. 
He can't hear you. Can't hear me? Yeah, so mute yourself and then unmute yourself. Okay. I hear you. He says, okay, now. Okay. All right. So going back to the comprehensive rider, residential sale for contract, the backup addendum, there it is. It's the W backup contract. And you'll see the terms in there. It, this backup doesn't go in effect until the primary contract dissolves itself by not going to settlement. And it's really important to make sure when you're doing a backup contract that you know the dates, the, the uh, timelines, so that you will slide back into first place in accordance with the failure of that first contract. You're also gonna make sure in the additional terms that W backup contract matches. It's so important to make sure you're using addendums that match the contract because you have crisp contracts, you have far more contracts. Look at the bottom of the contract, make sure everything matches up. Again, the backup offer will be either the far more contract or the as is contract, but you have to have that addendum in there because remember, this is a backup offer, so you have to keep an eye on the timelines. Okay, Kat? Yes. I want to talk about, I mean, backup offers. Remember I told you earlier that people are using as is contracts to tie pieces of property up that they don't intend to buy? Yep. I mean, we as a company have about a 30% cancellation rate of contracts, right? Mine. So when you're in a multiple offer situation, I would highly suggest you always request a backup. So Absolutely. take the best one, get a backup on number two, and then if number one gets squirrely or tries to get a little greedy, cut them off at the knees and replace them with your other one, who will be much more thankful that they got to come in. Absolutely. And it's going to make the house more attractive when they, I mean, a buyer's agent should assume that there's going to be backup offers on, on properties. Uh, you don't have to announce to the world that you're doing it, but of course, when you go under contract, you want to put in the MLS, which is what makes our, our uh, office so wonderful with our support staff is they'll put it in there on our deal sheet backups uh, requested. I can't tell you how many times I've seen where that little box has been overlooked and I'll check in with the agent. Hey, did you really mean not to have backups on this? And they'll go back and, and correct it. It's really important on that deal sheet indicate so that our back office knows you want backup offers. I would automatically check that box. Yes. I, I can't imagine not wanting a backup offer unless it's a three day closing cash and no contingencies, something amazing I, like that. I go one step further and say, if I had a buyer who really wanted a certain neighborhood and a certain type of house and there is one, but it's under contract, I'd go put a backup on that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to be the seller with the backup with an as is buyer who comes and asks for repairs. <laughs> I want to cut them off at the knees, take the other guy. You're right. Absolutely. That's why these, these are so important. The backup addendums are so important. And then the forms that we use, and I've attached that, and if nobody is familiar with this or they don't have a copy of it, we can certainly send it to them. You have the backup multiple offer form. This is in the MLS under form simplicity, and it's in our dot loop as well. This absolutely tells the seller uh, that we're having uh, multiple offers here and gives the seller the opportunity to choose them accordingly. Same thing when we're doing the form for the filling in for the priority of position of the multiple offers that I was talking about a moment ago. There it is. Number one, number two, number three, number four. You just 
knock it out for each one. These are great forms. They uh, really give and yourself. Let's get clarification because multiple. If you have two or three multiple offers, mm -hmm. they have to be answered in the same order they come in. The seller can pick anyone he wants. Absolutely, you're just for yourself letting the seller know this one came in, then this one, then this one, then this one. Absolutely, they don't have to be committed to any one. They're going to choose which one they want, or they might have a backup offer and then another backup offer after that that they like. There might be two backups that they really like. I've had sellers accept backup offers for less money than the primary. Because of the terms, because sure. of the conditions, or maybe the buyer's agent uh, uh, had the buyer write this really nice letter about the property and how that property is a good fit for their family, the schools, the marina, the amenities, and that they've been looking for months and they know this is the one. It's, inc it's incredible how many times that one little detail will be the one that pushes it over. You're absolutely right. It's not always the amount, it's the terms that that seller either is going to love or is going to hate. So these forms are very, very useful. It helps you keep straight in your files. And then you can let the buyer's agent know that it's been presented and, we'll let, and we will get back to you accordingly. Um, highest and best when you get into a multiple offer situation. But you listen to the instructions of your seller first, of course, because you're, you're the listing agent. You want to know what your seller wants, but you also educate your seller. Hey, look, I would love to get you multiple offers. This is, this is our idea. This is what we would like to do. How do you feel about that? It's really that simple. So how do we do this physically? All through dot loop. Yeah. In the contract itself, I'm going to take my screen back because I got it already open. Sure. There should be a box. Yeah. Am I sharing my critical day timeline right now? Yes. Yes. Okay. Additional terms, it should be in there somewhere. Come on, Mr. Looper. So we didn't talk about this on the contract, but I just want to make it clear. It should be pretty clear. Additional terms and addenda. Correct. So if you are the listing agent and you've got multiple offers, you're going to accept one, the best one for your thing. And then the second one, where's the backup? Right there. Backup contract. Right? So right here, backup contract, you check box W and then you'd have addendum initial, addendum W initialed by the buyers and the sellers. And that would be the contract saying, look out for a backup addendum, yep. right? So yep. you check and attach, check and attack. While I'm here, kick out clause mm. is another fun one. And I also want to talk about the escalation clause. So what would you, you want to actually show them a backup contract? Let's do that. So all documents back up. There it is. W, backup contract writer. Correct. You're the legal one, you can read it. Yeah, no <laughs> worries. This is like I was saying a moment ago, that little screenshot that you saw, this backup contract, which is num your number two guy in line, 
is subject to the termination of the prior executed contract, which is the primary contract, and a third party for the sale of the property. If that prior contract, which is contract number one, is terminated and seller delivers written notice of the termination, which would be to the buyer's agent to buyer, before five o'clock on whatever that date is for that first contract, then the contingency, which will be this, this contract number two, will be removed and this backup contract shall move into first position. The effective date of this backup contract will be the date the seller delivers written notice of the termination of the prior executed contract. This is why timelines are so important. You have to know when the first contract's gonna go bye-bye so that you can effectively write a good backup contract that coordinates the dates as necessary. Yeah. Buyer can terminate this backup contract. This is real important by delivering written notice to the seller prior to the date, deliver written notice of the termination. Well, what does that mean? Well, the buyer, let's say the buyer puts in a, a backup contract on the house and he finds something else he loves. So long as that buyer gets the notice over to the seller, hey, we're canceling our backup contract before seller's primary contract goes bye-bye, they can do that. They can do the, the termination and release. And then there's no further obligations by the buyer and seller under this contract. Yep. It's a lot yeah. easier than it sounds. It really is. Um, something else we're seeing a lot more of now are, you know, a lot of people, and it's really unfortunate, uh, the subject of the sale of my home, right? There's a lot of buyers that need to sell their home in order to buy another one, but there's so few homes for sale that they're not getting accepted. But yeah. a way that you can temper a home sale contingency contract is by putting into it a kickout clause. Yes. Which says, look, I will take your offer and I understand you need to sell your home, but I'm going to give you a short period of time to do it. Yes. And if another offer comes along that's acceptable to me, I'm going to give you three days to remove all contingencies and put up a big deposit or I'm going to cancel you and take the second offer. I right. love kickout clauses. They're a lot of fun. They make, so they, they make a contingency without a kickout clause. And these are just so easy, fun to read. Because they really, the lawyers did a good job writing these back and forth. Like in the one Kat just read about the um, uh, backup contract. Yeah. It redefined the effective date. Because remember we talked about the effective date is the date upon which the last party signed or initial? Yes. Well, the backup contract, it redefined the effective date to the day the seller notified the buyer that they accepted their backup. Because there's no sense for a buyer to go do an inspection on a house that they're a backup position on because there's no right to buy it. But once the seller puts them in first position, then their time period starts. Yep. Escrow, so, everything. Yep. Full throttle. That hustle around and tie in together. Let's go to, and this one is winning a lot of stuff for us. The escalation addendum to contract. This one is really complicated, but let me tell you what it says in English. It says, dear seller, I really want your house. I'm willing to pay $500 more than the best offer you get as long as it doesn't exceed X amount of dollars, right? 
because you don't know when you know you know when there's multiple offers coming you know it's a beautiful house and there's 18 realtors cars in the driveway that house is going to get multiple offers and your buyer wants it they're qualified to 295 but the house is 285 so they write an offer at 285 full price and somebody else comes in at 287 but we write ours at 285 with this escalation clause so if somebody comes in 287 ours automatically is to 287 5 but it can't exceed the cap which we know we're qualified for 295 can't exceed 295 but it's only going to be $500 more than your best offer and you got to verify what your best offer was mm -hmm. right yep so that's what it says in english but it gets complicated because a 285 offer is not the same net as another 285 offers in some circumstances. A 285 offer asking with $5,000 in closing costs is really only a 280 offer. That's right. So the language in this document, which I'll let Kathleen read, explains that. So that's why it gets kind of tricky, but I just want you to understand the English of it and then it'll make sense. Well, and the uh, other part too here is documentation in the event that the other offer causes the escalation of the sales price offer to go up, the seller will provide the buyer with sufficient documentation to justify the sales price increase. So in other words, you're gonna have this escalation clause kick in, the seller's agent is gonna say, okay, this is what the, what the price is, this is what the uh, amount is, so, you know, a copy of the first page should be sufficient or, or an email, but I prefer a copy of the first page redacted out the individual's names for privacy. Multiple escalations is when it gets tricky. So that's where you're, you're going to want to have, as that seller's agent, you're going to want to make sure you have number one, number two, number three, number four organized in your file so that when the other offers come in, that result in multiple escalations, you can know how much more or over you're going to have to be. You're going to have to know what that cap is. Uh, and then acceptance of counteroffer. I can't see the rest of it. If you can scroll down a little bit. I can't. There we go. In the event that the seller agrees to accept a sales price within the terms of this offer and pursue it to the escalation clause, the seller will submit to the buyer a copy of the offer, sales price adjusted, fully executed by the seller, which would be the counter offer. So in essence, what that's really saying is when you use the escalation clause, technically it's turning into a counter offer and you're going to have a copy of all the terms and everything fully executed to a fully ratified contract. The last person that signed, date, and so forth. They're a lot of fun to use. Once you've done it a couple times, it's like rolling off a log. And it's, a, it's really just a great, great addendum. These three addendums are my favorite. Great negotiating tools, no reason not to do it, but you'll be shocked how many brokerages don't have a clue how to use these. Right, and they're really, really fun stuff. Yeah. Rule up here. How about some feedback in the chat? Is this helpful with the, I, I think it's helpful to go through the contract and listing intake form to explain the process behind a listing agreement and a contract. Am I wacky or do you guys like that idea? 
because I just, after years and years of reading that contract out loud and putting it all to sleep, you loved it. Very helpful. Absolutely. I recently won two contracts with the escalation clause. It awesome. Worked. Like it? Good, good, good. Yeah, why do that? <laughs> All right, Jessica. Corona. Veronica's slightly confused. Well, that will happen. And there really is. I don't want to leave the dark with the contract, but you do need to read it. But the important stuff that we're going to see day to day is addressed on the intake form. Now, if the house catches on fire while it's under contract, the contract has terms that will control what has to happen. If the damage takes more than 30 days to fix, then the contract's extended for 30 days and the seller and the insurance company have the damage repaired. If it takes longer than 30 days, the buyer can cancel. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that gets addressed, but not often does our house catch on fire during the contract period. That's true. And you so know, if anybody who has trouble with it, reach out to us and we can walk you through it. It's one of our favorite things to do. I love contracts. It's just. I, I keep the contract, uh, now I don't loop, I don't, but I used to keep the contract printed on my desk at all times. Yeah. Right? Because I get questions and I second guess myself and I go back and look. But that's only on the odd stuff. The stuff we covered here on the intake form, that's simple. There's nothing, that's just day-to-day -day routine. And then the critical date timelines, holding sellers and buyers and cooperating brokers knowledgeable to what the dates are. Powerful things to just secure a really good business. So recapping some of Jeff and Mike and Thomas and Deborah and uh, Veronica says, so if I have a VA buyer, can we do an escalation clause? The answer is yes, but let me comment, caution you. The contracts between the buyer and the seller. So whatever it takes to get a contract between the two of them agreed is fine. Um, you were going to run into trouble is the VA addendum has to appraise. The VA buyer has to appraise. So generally speaking, we're running the price up with an escalation clause and a buyer with a very low down payment and an appraisal contingency probably not going to work. I'm not saying it won't. I'm not saying that it can't. Would you agree with that, Kathleen? Absolutely. You know, it's going to depend on what type of property we're, we're talking about. If it's a new home that's, let's say, two years old and the neighborhood's hot and it's going up, 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 yeah, just know your comps. If it's a home built in 1960 with a whole bunch of problems and the neighborhood is may not be as on fire as the one two miles up the road, now you're talking a different scenario. I would say it's de demographically driven. You know, I've got a situation we're dealing with right now in Mira Bay. We have a VA buyer for a $700,000 house who put in like $50,000 worth of upgrades. And if it doesn't appraise, then we're stuck with a house. But we wrote an addendum that said, if the house doesn't appraise, the buyer will put additional money down for the so the loan goes up. Because the buyer in that case has cash. Just because mm -hmm. your VA doesn't mean you don't have cash. If it doesn't appraise, you can just put more money down and get the house you want. Yes, you can. Yeah, there's an escape clause and the VA addendum specifically addresses that. You can. You can bring it to the table. I had a uh, buyer last year that had to do just that. She had to bring 10 grand to the table. It was a lakefront property. The appraiser was an idiot. 
and everything around her was appraising exactly what it should have been, but this guy just didn't understand how to do appraisals on a lakefront property with a VA loan. It was one of the worst ever, but we closed. She, that's the house she wanted. She brought 10,000 to the table. Yep. So let's do a little re recap. We spent a lot of time on rapport building because we are in the people and communications business, right? And we want to build trust and people like people who are like themselves. So we spent a lot of time with the driver, the inspiration person, the calculating person, and the, and the sweet person, the disc profile. We spent a lot of time with visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. We spent a lot of time learning words and scripts to say, which really are nothing more than asking a series of questions so you can listen to the buyer and then treat them the way they like to be treated. So that's the sales part of real estate for the communication people in communication business. And when you get good at that, which takes practice, you're going to build trust. And when you build trust, everything works better. They're not going to second guess you on your ability to write a contract. They're not going to second guess you on which addendums to use. They're not going to second guess you on your listing presentation. They're not going to ask you for commission reductions right? It all starts with mastering the people and communication part of this business. Real estate is simple, right? The hard part is mastering. We spent two days doing that. We spent a portion of day three talking about the technical part of real estate because it's so bloody easy. The hard part is really coming up with the why, right? That's it. Because none of this stuff is Nothing's hard, but it's uncomfortable for a while. And you're going to resist doing the uncomfortable until you get comfortable or until there's some gigantic passion that says, damn it, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm doing this now. That's when it all comes together. So that's the um, art of real estate, which Jeff and I did with you on day one. So it starts with your primary aim. Then it's identifying your personality type then it's creating the schedule. What day? You know, I ask these questions a lot. How many of you, how much money do you have coming? Does it cost you to maintain your household every month on average? Number one, how much money do you have coming into your household outside of real estate income? The delta between that says a lot. It either says you got to make this much per month to keep things going, or you don't have to do shit to keep things going. And neither one of those are good or bad, but it changes your why. You're going to have to create a why because real estate pays too much money, right? Most people don't need 7,000 bucks a month to live, but most people can spend 7,000 bucks a month pretty easily. So spend some time on the primary aim concept, the art of real estate, the schedule you're willing to commit to, and, and then break it down to just, it's going to be literally an appointment a week will generate probably three or four sales for you and at three or four sales a month, you are a rock star real estate agent. You're 36,000, 36 to 48 transactions a year, 7,000, you're making 200,000 bucks. You're making more than many doctors, right? On one appointment a week, when you sharpen your sales skills. So awesome and amazing. So Kat, it's 350. Well, just a few uh, things to add on to what you said. Don't be afraid to ask for business. 
that's one of the hardest things when you first become a real estate agent. It's, and I, I went through it myself. I, I changed careers from, you know, being a, a, a state uh, prosecutor into real estate. And I had to learn how to ask for business. And once you understand and people really need your help, it's not about us just getting in the way. It's about us helping people realize dreams. You make dreams come true every day. And I can't tell you after 10 plus years now, almost of being with this brokerage, the tools that we are given on a regular basis, the education that will bring you up to a level you just cannot believe what you're about to experience and your increase in business and your increase in wonderful clients. And this is a business of a lifetime. You're going to establish relationships with clients that you're going to absolutely adore and they're going to become dear friends to you. You're going to help people out of situations that desperately need to sell a home uh, because of a health issue or divorce or so forth. And on that topic, there are so many ways that you can generate business. I always say it's like a hand. You're going to have your repeat clients. You're going to have new business that you're going to be working on. You're going to have referrals. You're going to have probate, let's say probate and some bank owns. You're going to have different referral sources. You're going to have new home builds. And you're going to branch out. The more you get more comfortable and you learn the uh, skills and you have the systems in place, the more you're going to want to branch out. Okay, now I want to do some commercial deals. Now I want to do some uh, condo, high-end condo developments. There's nothing you can't do. I'm, I'm living proof. I walked away from a very secure job, got into this. I thought I was going to make a killing with rentals. No, no, no. Stay away from that. <laughs> You learn real fast and not, I don't want to be self-centered or anything, but I want to tell you this because I had zero client base. I was representing people that were victims of crime. I was representing law enforcement. I was representing the state of Florida, uh, murder cases, rapes, robberies, you name it. I did it, drug traffickings. And then I ended up being the real estate fraud queen and white collar crime, which I loved. So the reason for bringing that into to you is to let you know, I went from making a measly $75,000 a year uh, and they thought that was a lot of money and you don't clear that to going well past that. I double tripled my salary very quickly, not because I had a big book of business, but because I did the systems. So hear what I'm saying, follow the systems, listen to what you're being presented. You will not fail. Good job. Well, guys, thank you very much for the three days we spent together. And you know, this is a, we're not done. You're not graduated. You have, this is continual level master's education because it's changing. We're learning all the time and we're loving sharing what we learn. So let's stay engaged. Let's stay tuned in because once again, it's a master's level education process here and it's continual and endless. So with that, thank you. Thank you, Rena. And yes, Mike and Jonathan, we're getting all these shares and all this, all the chats are safe and all that stuff too. So we've got all your email addresses and all that stuff. Thank you, everybody. It was fun. Let's do it again.